0: In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, I'm going to read verse 22. Let us draw near with a heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to read a couple of other passages of Scripture, but as I read these things, I want you to just notice the word conscience as we read. Conscience is a seemingly neglected part of God's Word, but it's just as much a part as any other thing that we read in Scripture. It might surprise some to know that the word conscience is found 31 times in the New Testament. So it must be an important teaching in the Word of God. So I read this one to start with. You'll note in Hebrews 10 verse 22 it speaks of an evil conscience. An evil conscience. Go with me from there if you would to 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians and in chapter 8 here I read verse 7 through verse 12 and again notice the the phrase that has to do with conscience. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 7. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But we take take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish, And that word there just means really be troubled for whom Christ died. For when you you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. In verse 7, it says their conscience being weak. In verse 12, it speaks about a weak conscience. Now let's go to the book of 1 Peter and in chapter 3. In first Peter and in chapter three, verse fifteen and verse sixteen. First Peter three fifteen. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And you see there the first of verse 16, a good conscience. Look also in verse 21 of this same chapter, where it says the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've read about a weak conscience, or rather an evil conscience to start with, then a weak conscience, and then here about a good conscience in verse 16 and also in verse 21. <laughs> I want you to just look at the word conscience, if you would, and break it down. Con, C-O-N, and then science. That's what the word conscious really is. By definition, the word that's translated conscious in the scripture means joint knowledge. Con, science, or or conscious. Every individual has a conscience. Both sinner and saint have a conscience. Some have an evil conscience. Some have a weak conscience. Some have a good conscience. But all have a a conscience. And again, just consider the definition joint, or you could say double knowledge. Joint knowledge or double knowledge. Be turning to the book of Jeremiah. Now I'll mention this concerning the joint knowledge, the double knowledge. There is a a knowledge of the law of God written upon men's hearts, Jew and Gentile alike. There is the knowledge of the law of God written upon people's heart, or really the law itself. I'm going to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah in chapter 31. And we'll read verse 31 through verse 33. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day of that i took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of egypt which my covenant they break although i was an husband unto them saith the lord but this shall be the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days saith the lord i will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their god and they shall be my people. Now I want to go there, back to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, in chapter 8. Hebrews, and in chapter 8, this is where that same thing that we just read is referred to in the New Testament. Hebrews 8, and in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Look over to chapter 10, if you would. In chapter 10, in verse 16 and verse 17. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and and in their minds will I write them. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now to the book of Romans concerning Gentiles. We just read about the Jews, the people of Israel. In in Romans and in chapter 2, We'll read verse 12 through verse 16. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles Which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And we just read that God has written his law upon the hearts of the Jews, people of Israel. But here in Romans it says also the Gentiles have the law written in their, their hearts. The double knowledge, keep that in mind, joint knowledge, There is the knowledge of the law of God written upon men's hearts. But then there is the knowledge of the fact that we have either kept or we have transgressed God's law. The joint knowledge. We have knowledge of the law. It's written in our hearts. But each one of us and everyone has also a knowledge of the fact whether we have transgressed that law that is written in our hearts. And that is the joint knowledge. Consider that our that our conscience works with our mind. It works with our minds before we commit an act. Before we perform, commit an act or do certain things, our mind considers just automatic. Is that right or wrong? Should I do that or should I not do that? And we consider that. But our conscience also acts with our minds following our action, informing us, have we actually transgressed God's law? Have we done right or wrong? It works with us before we do it. Should we do it or not? Then afterwards, did I do right or did I do wrong? That's the work of our conscience. The first one, before we do the act, is a warning to us. Take heed. Should you do this, there may be danger here. The second one, following the act, when our conscience works, will either be a peaceful conscience knowing that we have done the right thing or following the act we'll have a troubled conscience just something that gnaws at us that we know that we did wrong we did wrong again following before and following if you're still in Romans look again in Romans chapter 2 And I'm going to read verse 14 and verse 15 again. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show forth the work of the law written in their hearts. Then it says, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile Accusing or else excusing one another. The conscience will either accuse us, tell us we're wrong. Or the conscience will excuse us, tell us you did okay. That's the work of the conscience. The conscience will either approve or it will disapprove our thoughts, and our actions. In Romans also, in chapter 14. Romans, and in chapter 14, and I'm going to read verse, verse 22. Romans 14, 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Now here's the phrase I want you to see. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. That's having a peaceful conscience. A peaceful conscience. That's a conscience that approves your actions. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. You thought about doing it? You considered, should you do it? And you went ahead and did it? And happy is he that condemneth not himself, if your conscience does not accuse you afterwards in that thing which he alloweth. Our conscience is our judgment, our thoughts of words and actions. Is it right or is it wrong? Our conscience has been referred to as our moral compass to guide us. And that's a good phrase, I think. And I think in this we can see the importance of the distinction between having an evil conscience or a weak conscience or a good conscience. I want us to consider the evil conscience, but before we do, Always keep in mind, God's Word, God's law, is the divine standard of right and wrong, not our conscience. Always consider the Word of God. That is the divine standard. An evil conscience is not governed by the law of God. It's not governed by the revealed will of God. It's governed by self-determination. Just what, I'm going to do what I want to do. With no regard for anybody else. No regard for God. The Word of God. Just self-determination. Look in the book of Titus, if you would. In the book of Titus, and In chapter 1, verse 15. Titus 1, verse 15. Under the pure, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. The evil Conscious It's defiled Just as a reminder I'm going to the book of Matthew Chapter 22 Matthew And in chapter 22 Here I read verse 36 Through verse 40 Matthew 22 Verse 36 some came to Jesus and said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like an unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That last statement in verse forty is important. On these two things hang or hinge everything's depending upon these two things concerning the law. First, when he said, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind." The second one he said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now I'm going to go back to the book of Ecclesiastes and in chapter 12. I'm almost there. Ecclesiastes and in chapter 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now I read these two passages of Scripture just to say this. Those with a defiled or evil conscience have no regard for the love of God nor for the love of His fellow man. Jesus said on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. Those with an evil conscience have no regard to what's stated here in Ecclesiastes 12 and in verse 13 concerning the whole duty of man is to fear or reverence God and keep His commandments. Again, the person with an evil conscience Has No regard for these things I mentioned the moral compass The moral compass Of a person with an evil conscience Is all wrong It it leads them the wrong way It's not true Guidance You're still in the Old Testament Look in the book of Isaiah Chapter 5 Isaiah chapter five and in verse twenty, to hear, it's, it's a to me a good indication of one with an evil conscience. Isaiah five and in verse twenty, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight! From there, look in First Timothy, the book of First Timothy, and in chapter four. And I read verse one and verse two. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies in hypocrisy in this last phrase having their conscience seared with an hot iron. That kills the nerve. That kills the nerves. Keep that in mind as you look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians and in chapter 4. I read verse 17 through verse 19. This I say therefore and testify in testifying the Lord... That you walk henceforth, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And then it says who being past feeling, their conscience is seared with a hot iron. It takes the feeling away. Those with an evil conscience can commit ungodly acts, and does not bother them. Their past feeling, their past feeling. Again, as we read in Isaiah, they may call right wrong and wrong right, light from darkness. They they don't have any feeling concerning any of that. They have no regard for for those things. It's it's a strange thing to me that many with an evil conscience are religious. They're not just the ungodly people you think of in the world. There's a lot of religious people with an evil conscience. But as Paul said in Romans 1 in verse 18, they will always hold the truth in unrighteousness but they're very religious. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Again, all with an evil conscience are not found in the world. Some of them are found in churches among very religious people, but they still have that evil conscience. Go with me to John chapter 8. I'll show you another strange thing about people with an evil conscience. In John chapter 8, I read verse 3 through verse 9. John 8 and in verse, verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst even the enemies of Christ, those that were trying to find a way to to kill him, by the actions and words of Jesus, and again I have no idea what he wrote on the ground, but it says in verse 9 that these that were seeking a way to accuse Jesus being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one. It's possible for those with an evil conscience to have that conscience at times to, we use the word, convict them. And sometimes it drives them away from churches, people that want to talk to them about the Lord. Sometimes it drives them away. Sometimes it will cause them to go through acts of reformation, which is useless in the matter of salvation. But again, hear these people, it says, being convicted by their own conscience. It's been said that every individual, every person has a, a standard. I have one, you have one, everybody has a, a standard. If your standards are according to the Word of God, you're in good shape. But if it's not according to the Word of God, you've got a problem if you have a standard and you do, you have one or two things to do if your standard is right. The first thing you could do is bring yourself up to that standard. Hopefully it's the standard of the Word of God. That's one thing you can do. Seek to bring yourself up to that standard. The other thing, other option is bring your standard down to your morals, to your way of thinking. We do one of those two things. We either have a standard that's in agreement with the Word of God, and we seek to meet that standard, or we're lax in things, and we bring the standard down where it'll fit our lives a little bit better. The second thing, more often than not, seems to be what individuals do. Bring the standard down and are able to convince their own conscience that this is okay. There's a lot to consider in that. I want us to think about those with a good conscience. A good conscience. Again, these have that moral compass that will lead them into conformity to God's moral law. It won't lead them astray if it's a good conscience, if it's one that has a biblical foundation. Those with a good conscience have a biblical sense of right and wrong. And I emphasize a biblical sense of right and wrong. Men have their own standards of right and wrong, but one with a good conscience It will be according to God's standard and not their own that they have set. A good conscience will always approve what God approves, and it will always disapprove what God disapproves, and that's just pretty, pretty simple. Whatever God approves, that's what their conscience will be in agreement with. Whatever God condemns, they they condemn. For those with a good conscience, truth is not a relative term. It's not something they determine. It's what God has already determined. What is evil or sinful is not what they determine. It's what God has determined. And that is a good conscience toward God. That's where you can live in peace and not have that that troubled conscience. They with a good conscience delight in the law of God after the inward man. What is that inward man? They delight in the law of God after the inward man. Those with a good conscience are those who are new creations in Christ. They've been renewed in both mind and in spirit. And having a good conscience is just evidence and proof that there has been a change of life, a change of nature, a change of character, a good conscience. And that's true because by nature... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But after regeneration, it's different. It's different. We view right and wrong different. And look with me to the book of 1 Peter. I want to mention this about those with a good conscience. There's something about people with a good conscience. And that recently I brought a message on Christian liberty. Christian liberty. There's something about a person with a good conscience that will not misuse that Christian liberty. Their conscience may tell them that it's okay for you to do this. That decision might be in agreement with the Word of God. There's no sin in doing it. You have perfect liberty to do it. But what if you doing that offended another brother, a Christian? What if you doing that act that's perfectly conforming to the Word of God, no violation, but yet it would cause somebody else to stumble, should you do it? Your conscience says it's okay to do it. But would you do it? Look in first Peter chapter two. In first Peter and in chapter two verse eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the So, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King as supreme, are under governors as under them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of malicious, maliciousness but as the servants of God, it's possible to misuse Christian liberty. As I just said, if it's things that are right for me to do, if it would offend you in me doing that, I shouldn't do it. My conscience shouldn't let me do it because it would offend you. Look in First Corinthians, keeping that in mind. In 1 Corinthians and in chapter 8, 1 Corinthians in chapter 8, and I'll read verse, beginning in verse 6. But unto us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol under this hour eat it as a thing offered unto the idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat it are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat, because me mention this, this meat in verse 13 is not all meat. It's meat that has been offered to idols. And then people would sell it in the market after that people would eat it. Is it right or wrong to do that? Well, Paul says there's nothing wrong with eating unless it's going to offend somebody with a weak conscience. Consider those maybe who are not mature Christians. And Paul says in verse 13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, meat that's been offered to idols, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend. There's just a lot to consider. Two more scriptures and I'm going to stop. 2 Corinthians in chapter 1 Brother, yes, chapter 1 verse 12 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse 12 For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have our conversation or manner of life in the world, and more abundantly to youward. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy and in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience and without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. It's a wonderful thing be able to serve God with a pure conscience. Just think about that. It would be a terrible thing to try to serve God with a guilty conscience. A conscience just which gnaws at you constantly because we've done what we know was wrong. Be a terrible thing to try to serve God that way. Paul says, verse two, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. That's the way we are to approach our God.